When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. And man, we are, it's its crazy to think, but I want you guys to think about this, what I'm about to say. The Iowa Hawkeyes are one Nebraska win away from winning the Big Ten West and playing in the Big Ten Championship game. I mean, this team was three and four at one point in time. It felt like everything was off the rails. You know, this has the worst offense in college football. It doesn't matter how good the defense is. It doesn't matter how good the special teams is. And all of a sudden, they rattled off four wins, and they're one win away from rattling off five more in a definitely winnable game. Dad, I mean, what are, what are we supposed to make of all, all this season? I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, crazy is the, the right term. Um you know, when we started when we started the season, we started talking about what our expectations were. And we thought the team had a chance to be, you know, favored or among the favorites in the Big Ten West. And, you know, the first couple weeks were so bad. And we're like, okay, you know, receivers are out. Maybe the offensive line, a lot of injuries, it'll get cleaned up. And the offense, while it has improved, has stayed bad not as bad as it was um but it stayed bad and the defense has been as amazing as we could have expected and once again all it took was the other team to make one or two mistakes on offense and this Iowa defense capitalized and that's been the story of this season that the defense and special teams capitalize when the team absolutely needs it and the offense found a way to get just enough at the right times. And we're going on, you know, four straight wins. And I can't believe we host Nebraska with a chance to go to the Big Ten title game for the second straight year. Uh, just crazy. Yeah, and to give us kind of a baseline to kind of jump off of here, uh, just a kind of official recap. You know, Iowa, they won the game against Minnesota 13-10 on the back of two major turnovers, one of which should have been a pick six that should have been let go. I don't know how they call it back after a little huddle, get together, and then say, oh, he probably stepped out. How do you just not let that play go, by the way? I mean, that's it's the most maddening thing when a referee makes a split decision call with his, you know, elderly eyes um, in, in this fast-paced, you know, um, football game where these dudes are crazy athletes they're moving at quick paces you have bodies flying all around especially on that play with Jack Campbell and initially if you watch the replay the guy who's sitting um the, the referee who's um sitting right there on the sideline you know watching the out of bounds line and watching the pick happen he didn't initially stop it he was continuing to go um past that and run with the play it was then after the fact when they huddled up they said I yeah we probably got to call it right there um, mind-blowing, didn't matter, thankfully didn't matter um, to those of us who at least, you know, didn't bet the over on Iowa team total 13 and a half, but um, <laughs> if you did, uh, that's a rough one. Ouch. Um, Ouch. Yeah, um, but it, it's one of those things where, you know, Iowa's defense, we're, we're going to talk about it, they they had moments in this game that just were not great, Um. They got gashed on the ground. It felt like some um, some drives they just couldn't get off the field. But guess who you know makes those plays in the end when it really matters? You know, pick six, um, well, a interception and then a, a fumble. It, both that were coming in. A Minnesota drives that felt like we're going to end in points. Um, can't say enough about that group. They're just they're a special group. You know, we both we both said it not to each other. I saw you tweeted it, um, and I said it in our group Slack. That drive by Minnesota before the fumble felt like 
the Michigan State drive in the Big Ten Championship, where it was just inevitable. It was just, they keep running the ball, they keep getting it. Third down, got it. Fourth down, get it. And it just felt like that. And finally, you know, I don't know if it was the accumulation of carries, but they got a body on Ibrahim, and Campbell came in, knocked it out. I think it was Deontay Craig, you know, a guy we've talked about a bunch, uh, jumps on it. And the offense does nothing with it, but, uh, you know, got another chance. Uh, Third down, Minnesota elects to pass. Riley Moss is right on top of it, able to body up the receiver, get an arm in there. The ball pops up. And what these Iowa players do when they have a chance, when the ball is in the air and they have a chance to, to catch it, the Iowa defenders catch it. And then it was a convoy down the sideline. And I've seen it mentioned on Twitter. I noticed it too on my rewatch. That Riley Moss dives, makes a play on the ball, pops up. Jack Campbell picks it off. Moss gets up, sprints ahead, bodies up one lineman, gets him, keeps running, bodies up another one. Uh, and they keep going. And that's the type of effort that this defense has played with. You know, whether, whether it shows up, um, on a statistic or not, this defense has just played with a togetherness and effort level that has been unbelievable all year. And I, it shouldn't be unbelievable. This is what Phil Parker and Iowa defenses do. But it's just been a joy to watch. And, and they just come up with the ball. They come up with a play when this team needs it. Um, same thing, special teams. You know, uh, Looks like Iowa might get backed up a little bit. Uh, Cooper DeGene makes the first guy miss and picks up 18 huge yards on a punt return. Uh, just when the team needs it, Tory Taylor punts one. DeGene bats it at the one and backs Minnesota up just to make them have a long drive. You know, they went 80 yards. They didn't get any points uh, because Iowa stretches the field. And you've said it over and over online. And I think it's so important. Iowa plays this way because they believe in it and they utilize special teams when other people ignore it. When P.J. flexes, we outplayed Iowa in every area. No, you didn't. You ran the ball better than Iowa did. You didn't pass the ball better than Iowa did. You didn't defend the pass as well as Iowa did. You didn't kick the ball as well as Iowa did. You didn't return the ball as well as Iowa did. They lost every single one of those aspects, but they did run the ball. And to say every you're overlooking a huge part of the game, and Iowa doesn't. And that's why they win games like this every single year. Yeah, it's it's unbelievably ignorant, right? I mean, they won two facets of the game. They won the run game. They won the, the line of scrimmage battle between the offensive line and, and Iowa's front. Um, every single other matchup, they, they didn't win. And it just shows you kind of the mindset of some of these weirdos um, across college football. And it shows you that it's a coach. This is a guy that's being billed as like a program builder and – has had two successful stints at two different programs. You know, PJ Fleck has clearly, you know, earned his stripes in the college football world. And yet he's after the game and I get it. He didn't have a chance to look over the film and he was in the heat of the moment. They're coming off an emotional loss, especially in a close game like that. But still to be that tone deaf, to be that unaware that you lost 75% of the game. It is just is ludicrous. And, you see it online with all these other people that are tweeting it out too. They'll 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 post the offensive box score and they say, "Who won this game?" As if <laughs> you're you're eliminating two of the other three facets, and then also removing context because half the time they don't even post the turnovers or, you know, like what happened on those third downs and 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 kind of what ha- how the game flow on, you know, what if all those yards um, came in the first half? We saw if if you want to extrapolate. Stats. Iowa scored ten points in the first quarter. Okay, it looked they looked unbeatable. They they drove down the field on the first play of the game, um, with that little slip bubble, um, uh, you know, inside screen to Sam Laporta, and we literally talked about it last week. You can run that any time; it's gonna work, and it worked for about like a fifty-plus yard gain or whatever it was. But people just across the board, whether it's analysts fans, coaches, they don't understand Iowa's brand of football. And listen, it's not my favorite brand of football. Okay. I don't, that's not something that I yearn for. And that's, I don't think it's aesthetic. I think there's better offenses out there. I think there's better ways to win out there, 
but Iowa knows what they are. They know how to execute it, and they just don't get the credit for it because everybody just focuses on the offensive numbers and the things that really aren't box score aesthetic. That's what they do extremely well, and guess what? It's won them four games. It's about to win them the Big Ten West potentially. Iowa, you know, something people never want to talk about. Iowa had five punts. Uh, Torrey Taylor averaged 42.4 yards. Uh, one of them was returned for zero yards, so he netted 42.4 yards. Uh, on the other end, Minnesota punted three times. He averaged 39.7 yards, but Iowa had 24 yards returning two of them. So his net was an average of 31.7. So you balance those out, that's three times equal amount that's an extra 30 some yards for iowa's offense um that isn't accounted for in a traditional box score and you move this offense up so iowa's offense on the punting game gained about 11 yards per punt per situation so iowa's field position advantage there that's an extra first down on each of those possessions and that's so important um and it's stuff that doesn't show up but it's all there and it's a part of how Iowa plays. Um, and then they found a way just to have a couple plays designed to beat what Minnesota did when they really needed it. You know, to start the game, kind of backed up, they get a big play. Uh, they get they get that interception, and they dial up a play. It, was, it wasn't exactly, but it was similar to the one we all remember, the Penn State play where Hawkinson's wide open down the middle and uh, Stanley missed him. This one, not as wide open, hits him perfectly, sets Iowa up when they need it. They had a really good third down play uh, designed to Reganey that just came off his hands. Uh, But they had just enough plays figured out and didn't turn the ball over to give them the win in the margins. And that's how this team's going to win. And people can say, oh, they can't do this and they can't do that. And there are some things right now they can't do. But they can win games, and that's what it's about in the end. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, in the offseason at Big Ten Media Day, um, there was a video made of all the coaches. They were asked, you know, what's the most pointless statistic? And so predictably on on brand, Kirk Perrin says, oh, probably offensive yardage, not yardage. Offensive yardage, probably. And, you know, everybody jokes, made jokes. They make, they're making jokes throughout the entire season. Um, anytime Iowa posts a stat line of like 94 yards passing in a game or 150 total yards of offense week after week, that's going to get brought up. But guess what? You know, where you start on the field, and it, it, you know, there's an implication there for yardage. There was a drive in this game from Minnesota where they went 80 plus yards and got zero points. There was a drive in this game where Iowa probably went maybe 20 yards and ended up with three points. And guess who? Guess what won them the game? That 20-yard drive. It matters. Turnovers matter. Minnesota turned the ball over twice and probably in the process took maybe 10 points off the board on those two drives. I mean, the interception, they were definitely moving towards field goal range. The The fumble from Mohamed Ibrahim was definitely felt feeling like a touchdown drive. You know, that's the drive we mentioned that kind of felt like the Michigan State uh, Big Ten Championship drive. Um, missed field goal? The missed field goal? Special teams, turnovers, but we won every facet of the game, says P.J. Fleck. Yeah, except for the ones that got you points. Um, it, it's incredible. And, um, you know, like you said, Iowa continues to find ways to win. Um, their offense is maddening, uh, you know, and it never, it, it won't, there won't be a time this year where we, we see it as, oh, thank God, you know, they played their asses off, but there's times where we can say, you know what, they played well enough for us to win. And against Minnesota, despite only scoring 13 points, they played well enough for Iowa to win. And, um, it, it's just one of those things that is so uniquely Iowa that it's, it's hard for a lot of people to grasp. But uh, this is their brand of football, and, and they do it better than anybody in college football. And I'm sure they'd love to score a few more points. Like it, but <laughs> there's look, there's issues. There's issues, especially at the offensive line. Um, we've talked about that. It's plenty well documented. Um, you know, they can't get the run game going. At least on traditional dropbacks, uh, there's one sack given up, and it was on a shot play off of a short corner blitz. Uh, Petrus didn't see it got sacked on a on a big play that negated Iowa being in um, a really good scoring position but that was the only sack of the game which is big because uh, I'm 
pretty sure Iowa's on the, the wrong end of about every sack statistic in the country. Um, and we'll talk more about that because this Friday will feature probably two of the three worst offensive lines in the entire country. Yeah, this is going to be one of those, you know, <laughs> which offense can outstink the other. And um, I, obviously there's a clear edge um, that Iowa brings to the table in two departments. Um, that was probably going to rear its head um, this weekend as well. Um, but let's actually, I, we're going to talk about the defense, but I just got to bring up something that I've never brought up on this podcast. It drove me absolutely n- just nuts watching the game on Saturday. And that is the TV announcers, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman. I, like I said, I've never brought, I've tweeted this in the past about Iowa games. I've never brought this up on the podcast. I don't think it's, I think it's kind of pointless, but it just drove me so crazy. The entire game, whether it was like the snarky remarks about Iowa analysts and fans, just no, they just don't know football. But guess who knows football? Brian Ferentz, like all of these kinds of illusions of they they were in the wrong for critiquing Brian Ferentz and their offense. I they're not winning because of the offense; they're winning despite the offense. And on top of that, just all of those little critiques of like the actual schematic stuff on, on plays, like oh, well, he definitely should have thrown here when his progressions are on the opposite side of the field and they're open and he's completing passes. I'm talking about Spencer Peters here. It just so much stuff throughout the game drove me so crazy, dude. The t- the timeouts that were, Oh, he must've saw something he didn't like, or, you know, you could just simply look at the play clock said like one, um, that might be a reason for a coach calling a timeout, but Oh no, they must've saw something they did or didn't like, uh, just absolutely baffling. Um, it's even worse when, when we've had games where the crew isn't there. Like that's bad enough this year. We've had that, but like mm-hmm. this crew's there and just zero concept of anything that's going on, um, and a feel for it. And like you said, it doesn't really matter, but but it is infuriating to watch <laughs> and hear because people hear that and then they're like, oh okay, like they must know what it is. They must know what's going on in that and it's so far from the truth and it's so bad uh, when you're trying to watch a game and really understand what's going on, the chess match between the two sides and, and how they're trying to counteract each other. Uh, and then to hear what they say is, is completely crazy. You know, these are the kind of people that paint these narratives we hear. They're just so out of left field. I mean, you know, people will just listen to the game. They won't do like the, you know, the build up throughout the week, listen to podcasts or on Twitter or whatever, they only listen to either the radio at the end of the game or the TV at the game. And <laughs> that's what we get for three hours. I mean, I understand why some people are just ridiculous with their takes on Twitter. That's, that's besides the point, <laughs> but um, let's, let's talk about the defense. Um, obviously, you know, they, Iowa doesn't win the game without, you know, those two turnovers and without them just being a special unit. But, um, they do deserve a little bit of criticism this week. Um, I, I think that regardless of how good a unit is, regardless of how much they, they have on their shoulders, you know, they're, when it's criticism is, is warranted, you know, it, it should be fairly, you know, divided or, or divvied up there. And the run game, they got, they got obliterated. It was, um, you know, a group effort. It was field players at the, the corner and safety level. Just, um, you know, maybe um, the linebacking core got lost in the wash and then a the field just wasn't there when it should have been. Or maybe it was a defensive lineman just getting blown off the ball, whether it was a double team, whether it was a one-on-one. We saw both of those throughout the game. Um, there were several players who I think are good players that just had – they got obliterated, but this Minnesota front's good. Um, you know, I was very impressed with them. And the, the schematically, they were hitting all their reach blocks, all their exchanges, it felt like. They were getting definite push on the line. But, yeah, there was a lot of moments, especially at the linebacking core in particular, where it just felt like they were getting caught in the wash. They were losing their contain. They were losing their gap. Um, You know, linebacker fits are the hardest thing to tell without all 22 just because those lines, those holes are shifting so fast in real time. But when a player is literally three yards away from the only lane that makes sense for him to be in, you, you know where you can kind of point to, and there was a lot of that on, on Saturday there. There were issues, uncharacteristic issues with, with tackling, um, with fits, with getting caught up on a double or a, a slide and, and just 
not getting off of it and then getting into a bad position. Um, and it's you can't do that against Minnesota because, like you said, their front is good. Uh, Ibrahim is so good, especially in that system. You know, he's not going to wow everybody at the combine with elite speed, this or that, but he's an excellent college football player. Um, runs with great pad level, great vision, um, is able to fall forward, pick up tough yards. And I was saying, I thought, one thing I thought Minnesota did a really good job was, is with their reads in that zone read system, and even if it was a guaranteed handoff, they just held it and waited and waited. And I texted somebody during it, I'm like, I was going to have to bring boundary pressure to try to speed this read up. And two plays later is exactly what they did. They brought Riley Moss, and it's there to be blown up. He misses the tackle, um, and it's a huge gain. And after that, Phil Parker was a little reluctant to bring boundary pressure again in that situation. But I thought Minnesota did an excellent job of being patient and just taking that read forever and just trying to muddy up everything in the middle of the field. And Iowa... Iowa is so good boundary to boundary right now, but if there's a weak spot, it is straight up the gut. Um, and if you can get those guys a little bit on skates and put a body on Benson or Campbell, the defense has troubles with that. You know, we saw that at times in the Illinois game. We saw that at times um, in the, the Michigan game. So we saw that the Iowa state game early as well, that, that there were issues at times um, with those physical running backs in the center. And it, they found a way, but definitely an area that that is the weaker part of this defense. Um, and it worked well for Minnesota for most of the game. Um, and then they just made the one or two mistakes that allowed this defense to capitalize when they had to. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to see this again, whether it's with, um, you know, assuming that Iowa beats Nebraska, which, knock on wood, but... um we're going to see it either, either Michigan or Ohio state again. So they need to be prep better prepped, especially against those reads. And, and it wasn't even uh, all the time. It wasn't even just the exchange on the read. Um, there was a lot of times where it felt like I was DNs and, or just edge players were getting caught in the wash because they were, they were getting too impatient on inside zones to the other side, you know, and what was crazy and, and all respect to Mohammed Ibrahim, who's a hell of a player. Um, when he was running, say like an inside zone left, you have three options on inside on a zone run, any kind of zone run, especially on inside zone. You can either, you know, hit the inside of the wash that your offensive line clears out. You can bounce it to the edge or you can cut back. And there were a lot of times where it wasn't even a design counter play, but it worked like one because of just the initial gap being so plugged up with so many bodies because everybody's selling out to that side that he just initially cut back and all of a sudden he has five extra yards in a play where he was dead stopped at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, I noticed a few times Jay Higgins, Deontay Craig, um, Quinn Schulte at times as a fill player was getting caught in the wash and it was just plays that you just, you can't make the mistake. Like I understand they're running down your throat. They're getting six yards of pop. You want to meet them in the hole, right? The line of scrimmage and just make it unusable. But if you're overselling like that and you lose those, that discipline, those backside cuts are going to be what kills you. Yeah. And, um, you just can't get impatient. Um, over time, I don't think there was really like great, um, I don't want to say great adjustments, but great execution um, throughout the game. I don't think there was ever a moment where the, the switch came on and they started playing a lot better. Um, but obviously, you know, turnovers are, are a, a savior when you're when you're having just a bad day and every good unit is going to have a bad day. You know, I um, definitely fixable issues. I'm not overly concerned, but it is something that you, you want to iron out here um, heading into the Big Ten championship game potentially. If you're going to really try to take something away, you have to give something up. Uh, and they were really trying to take away that play side middle. And as you said, it opened up backside. Um, fills were a little off. As you said, guys just got impatient, cutting up, trying to trying to help make a play. And they, like you said, got caught in the wash or just overplayed it. And especially Ibrahim was able to, to make guys pay in those situations and make a good read, use his vision, get a feel for the way the offensive line was flowing and, you know, had a, had a massive, massive game against uh, a really, really good defense, but the defense 
you know, one thing they never did really is they didn't commit to both safeties getting up tight in the box. Uh, they, they still kept their discipline, their shell, because at some point Minnesota was going to try to pass. And when they did, they made him pay. Yeah, and, you know, add this game to um, when we talk about it next year or even in the Big Ten title game where when I was facing a really great player like a Mohamed Ibrahim or a Saquon Barkley or a Blake Corum, what we talked about is essentially Ben don't break, but don't let that player kill you continuously. Um, and if you are, you know, just try to keep him off the board while doing so. And, and it's crazy. Mohamed Ibrahim did all that, all that yardage, chunking Iowa up. Um, but it was only like select drives, right? The entire first quarter was kind of dormant for Minnesota's offense. You know, Iowa was able to kind of get out of there, obviously a 10-0 um, lead heading out of the first quarter. They kind of shut down the run in the first two drives of, that game, um, uh, of their uh, game as well. But they didn't let Muhammad Ibrahim kill them. And um, it wasn't just the turnovers. You know, we talked about how turnovers probably kept 10 points off the board. But ultimately, you know – they, there was there came a time where Minnesota had to throw the ball, um, and it was just kind of like biding their time to kind of get there. You know, we saw Ethan in, in those those read kind of plays and get those little dunk offs, and and that's what made his completion percentage at the beginning look really good. But ultimately, you know, they have to kind of push it down the field at some point. It can't just be all mo, and um, that really was kind of what even the playing field as far as kind of the, derailing their drives there. And it's been the plan that Iowa's used, as you said, really all year. Chase Brown carried, you know, 30 plus times, 100, close to 150 yards against Iowa. But they scored a total of nine points. They never got the ball in the end zone. So I think as long, you know, he had a, a 20 yarder maybe. Uh, and the only time Minnesota really scored is when Ibrahim was able to break one big long one and then really put them in position. The the totality of the, you know, four yards, six yards, three yards, eight yards uh yeah that wears on you but traditionally this team doesn't give up big point you know that's not going to get minnesota to 24 points um it's what iowa did really well against illinois uh they were perfect uh in in that system against wisconsin allen never got going in that game and for the most part against michigan with quorum they up until the end when they had to sell out uh, he didn't break any any big runs until that spot. So it's something that, that, to Minnesota's credit, they were able to break a few big ones. But this defense, Phil Parker, will, will let you kind of eat on those until, like so many teams do, you preach it all the time, they get impatient. All right, you know, we've done this yet. Now we've got the shot play drawn up. We spent the week practicing it. we got to get it in there. Um, we think this, you know, and offensive coordinators get impatient. And that's when this team capitalizes. And it's crazy that they were able to do it again. <laughs> you know, and you talked about it um, at a few like minutes ago in the podcast, but um, this unit on defense is just so cohesive. You know, you, you mentioned the interception with Jack Campbell and Riley Moss was on literally on the ground and ends up blocking two people. On the same play, Sebastian Castro is just full dead on sprint. <laughs> Like, he's behind Jack Campbell initially. He's just like, let me get out front. He wants to go hit somebody. He hits a 310-pound lineman standing right in the way. If he doesn't pick up that block, theoretically speaking, because obviously they called the play dead, but um, Jack Campbell doesn't make it to the end zone, um, even on a callback right there. If, if Sebastian Castro doesn't just say, screw it. I only weigh probably 190, 200 pounds, but I'm going to hit this th- dude who's 120 pounds, 110 pounds heavier than me. And – that's just the heart that, you know, there was somebody on Twitter that, um, I don't know how I came across the tweet, but they were talking about John Heacock at Ohio, at Iowa State um, being one of the better defensive coordinators in college football. And um, somehow Phil Parker got dragged into it, as he always does with an Iowa State-Iowa kind of dis- discourse. Um, and it, it did pose an interesting perspective to me about, you know, how is Phil Parker viewed across the landscape of college football or, or in, even in the NFL? You know, he, he doesn't run a unique scheme by any means. You know, it's been done a hundred times before by a hundred other different coaches. Um, he wasn't the first um, and teams still run the same scheme all over the country and they don't just derive it from the Phil Parker um, style, right? Like they would, they would with a John Heacock. But there's something to be said about 
unit after unit coming through Iowa's ranks over the years and always having a priority on turnovers and actually forcing them. You know, we always talk about it. Those aren't luck. Those are priority. There's there's an emphasis. You know, there's a playmaking emphasis in Iowa's all across Iowa's defense, whether it's sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions, tip drill. We've seen two weeks now in a row where a tip drill interception has taken place. You know, we saw Sebastian Castro against Wisconsin tip it up. Riley Moss made an incredible diving catch. This week, we saw the same thing with Sebastian Castro tipping the ball up. Or was it Riley Moss tipping the ball up Moss. to Jack Campbell? Yeah, Moss Riley Moss. I, I mean, there's the, literally the, the reverse. Uh, and they, that's week after week. That's game after game. They're they're forcing turnovers. They're making plays. And you have got to say something about Phil Parker not only having a successful defense production-wise, yards given up, yards per play, you know, amount of times that they're on the field, the amount of times they're scoring themselves, the amount of times they are flipping the game on its head. He is easily, in my opinion, the best defensive coordinator in all of college football. Um, maybe not the most unique. Maybe not the most flashy. Maybe he doesn't have – you know, those eye-popping edge players that everybody likes that bends the edge and, and just blows up a play. But he brings these guys who are three stars, like Logan Lee, who's getting inside pressure every time you watch him, and, and Van Ness, who's getting just pressure every single time you watch him, these three-star guys, and just turning them into stars. Deontay Craig, um, the list goes on and on. Obviously, there's there's a long list of successful Iowa players, but he gets the most out of his guys. They're playmakers across the board, and they're easily the best group, one of the best groups in college football every single year, and that's a massive credit to Phil Parker. I I bring this up a lot of times when talking to other people about coaches, and you see, you know, some hot coach's name, you know, oh, they they did this in this year, you know, they took them from three wins to to nine or ten wins. Uh, great coaches aren't the coaches that do that once. Great coaches are the ones that have sustained success. Um, and that's what Iowa has done. That's what Phil Parker has done defensively. It's sustained success. And that's how you know um, know that it's greatness. Because any coach can have that one-year flash. I mean, guys like Gene Chizik has a national championship. Um, I mean, there's you could go down a list. If you, you look at the guys who have won conference championships or national championships there's guys on there that aren't great coaches um, but they had that one year magic they dropped a bag on a quarterback and it all worked out um, things like that but the great coaches are sustained success and that's what phil parker has a record of sustained success that is unmatched nationwide really when you consider um the types of players Iowa has access to, the types of teams um, they face, you know, it, it's amazing, um, absolutely amazing. And to watch what he's done and to watch the culture and the mindset of this defense is so enjoyable um, and to appreciate it because these things, while they've had sustained success, um, this level of greatness is pretty special in terms of what this group has done all year long yeah and year after year every single defender is bought in you know they have unwavering performances game after game year after year that level of consistency in in a sport where you have you know 15 different players that are rotating in and out or or playing full-time on a defense and you just know what you're going to get it's so insanely special. I mean, especially in, in, in the landscape like college football, which inherently is you're going to hemorrhage players every four years, and it doesn't matter. Um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, yeah, I love Phil Parker. I'm so glad he's part of the University of Iowa. And um, he has my vote for the best defense coordinator in college football. Just put his name on the trophy. Yeah, and I think we both can agree, you know, Phil Parker. Um, we're, we're both very glad, obviously, that he's part of the University of Iowa. 
and uh, hopefully he's going to be here for a very long time. Um, that would be no complaints over here. <laughs> um, that said, his unit's going to have not not they're not going to have their hands full with Nebraska. I, I don't I would never say that this this Nebraska team is su- they suck, um, but you know it, it is a, a team where you know we are relying on the defense to kind of carry Iowa to wins at this point. Um, the offense, I think, could have a, a better day today um, and, and just seemingly always have a pretty good day against Nebraska the past few years. That said, the margin of error, you know, um, with Iowa is definitely a lot thinner um, across the board, especially with a team like Nebraska, um, that if they can catch a little fire or force a turnover early, which obviously Iowa's offense does not really turn the ball over, which is another added strength to this team and just kind of the overall turnover ratio. Um but yeah, the you know we kind of talked about it. We're going to be seeing a lot of a lot of read options again this week as well. Um, so some things to clean up on the defensive side just to make sure that you know Iowa is not getting uh, giving up these explosive plays and just not letting get them um, Nebraska chunk us apart. Um, what are your thoughts when you kind of look at this matchup uh, from a defensive Iowa defense versus uh, Nebraska offensive perspective? I think the one thing Nebraska does present is you look at skill players and there's guys out there that can play. I mean, Trey Palmer, the receiver for them, um, is as good as any receiver in the Big Ten that doesn't wear an Ohio State jersey. Uh, He's really, really good. Big, fast, good hands, uh, makes plays. And for them, um, because they're so inconsistent, they have so many issues, especially up front, uh, you know, he provides them that spark where they could have you know, a couple bad plays and he can just make a big play and all of a sudden it's seven. And that's something, especially with Casey Thompson back at quarterback. I mean, when they were going with uh, Purdy or, you know, when they were going with their backups at quarterback, their offense was just miserable because they couldn't do anything. Bad offensive line, bad quarterback, uh, bad recipe for offense. Uh, But with Thompson, I mean, he can make the throws. He's a talented quarterback, uh, really live arm. So somebody like Palmer, I mean, they've got, you know, Marcus Washington's a good receiver. Uh, Vokalik, the tight end, is a huge target. Um, he's able to get down the middle of the field. So when I think about their offense versus Iowa defense, it's an offense that that can make big plays, that has a really good running back as well. Uh, it's, it's tough because, you know, Anthony Grant's one of the better running backs in the Big Ten, and he's going to struggle. You know, he's going to be mid, maybe not even second team, just because the Big Ten is loaded at that position uh, when you go down the list of running backs. So they've got skill guys, a good receiver, um, a quarterback that I think has a lot of ability, still makes bad plays, uh, makes a lot of mistakes. But part of that's because they're forcing the ball um, at a lot of times because the offense is bad. They've played three quarterbacks. All of them have good mobility um, and they have as many sacks, I think, or close to, they've given up close to as many sacks as Iowa has. Now, they've passed the ball more, so the percentage isn't great, but it's a really bad offensive line. So if there's one place that I watch, they are going to have their hands full um, trying to dial up shot plays that aren't just like shotgun catch, one, two-step, chuck it deep. Uh, any sort of long-developing route is going to be a problem for them. And the really the thing I do hope is I hope that Iowa doesn't go the route they have in some other games where um, they've kind of worried about quarterback run. And here I think you just get after him. Um, don't don't let their offensive line don't give them any advantage of not trying to put pressure because you're trying to contain because it's an offensive line that struggles so much in protecting their quarterbacks. Yeah, that's that's what jumps off the page to me as well. I think Iowa's front four are, are really going to have a day. Um, you know, whoever's rotating in and out of there, I think we see a little bit of less of uh, Y.E. Black this week. Um, just because, listen, I, I think Logan Lee has a day. Um, you watch some of these Nebraska guards, especially in pass pro, and it's just like, I think we're looking at a field day there. Um, I think Deontay Craig has a, a great day. I, I think... We're going to see on the back end, too, just there's really nothing you can poke holes at as far as, um, like, coverage from the Minnesota game. Um, It was all pretty, like, well and good. 
Um, but you mentioned it. Trey Palmer is a little bit of a different kind of beast than what Minnesota threw at us. Um, also different than uh, anybody that Wisconsin threw at us. Um, Northwestern, you can kind of go down the list. He really reminds me um, of the bowl game kind of last year and Wandale Robinson. And it's kind of funny because Wandale was a Nebraska guy um, at one point as well. Um, but, you know, Trey Palmer is just a guy with the ball in his hands can make plays happen. He is the type of receiver that when Iowa does, um, you know, sometimes give up a little bit more passing yards than, than normal to one guy or one guy kind of like kills us. It, he is like the type of person that can do so. Um, you know, we, we I was very good, um, obviously schematically, but they trust their zone a lot. And um, you kind of have to against a guy like him because if you just kind of line up, man beaters are just going to be um, excessive out of Nebraska's offense if, if you just kind of line up and man there. Um, and he is a guy that I think if you just get – if they give him a little bit of space and he catches the ball in space – there's a lot of things that can happen in that space, especially with a guy that moves like that. And he's not even just, you know, a shifty, thin, explosive, quick guy. He has all those things, but he's also in, in a 6'1", 200-pound-plus frame, and he does look like it. You know, he kind of looks like a, you could throw him in at running back, and it would make sense. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really good, and he makes plays for him. Um, especially when things break down, he's really good at getting open. Or they do a good job of just getting the ball t- in his hands and trying to have him make a play. And I, I it's going to be the story of everything I talk about with this game. Um, their offensive line struggles so much that they sometimes just have to have to trust. Like they get the ball and they just throw it his way because there's not time to make the read or make make him allow him to really get wide open. And he goes and makes contested catches. Uh, he's somebody that they're going to have to really have a plan for in terms of um, extra help at times, you know, maybe, you know, jamming him. He's, he's strong enough. He can get off of some of that jam. So you're going to have to have, you know, second level or double, you know, bracket coverage in some way um, to, to take him out. But the the key is going to be, can this Iowa defense consistently put pressure on Casey Thompson make him make the throw before he wants to. Uh, that usually results in a ball sailing a little bit and Iowa getting their hands on it, getting Thompson to the ground with some sacks and then um, disrupting his platform, making him release it when he doesn't want to, leading to interceptions. He's he's thrown, I think, 10 this season. Uh, wouldn't shock me to see two more on Friday. Yeah, and unlike Iowa where their offensive line play yeah, obviously it does affect the passing game, but there's not a point in the game where Spencer Petrus is just like, man, I've got to make a play here. I really got to make a play. I'm going to push the envelope. Nebraska is the polar opposite. Okay, so they are a team that we kind of talked about it. Um, it's been a theme throughout this entire episode. Patience and versus impatience. And Nebraska feels like a team that when they are getting bottled up, and we saw it a little bit last week as well, they do tend to get a little bit impatient. They try to force the envelope where it's not there. And that that's music to the Iowa defense's ears. I mean, try it. Try it. We'll, we'll end up in a tip drill again. We're going to have three straight weeks where, you know, there's a pass tipped up in the air and it comes down in somebody's on Iowa's defense's arms. Um, I do think there's Iowa's going to get pressure on the quarterback this week. Um, I think we start to see a little bit more um, – in terms of just kind of overall like blitz is designed to actually pressure the quarterback rather than just fill running lanes um, or get explosive stops in there. I think we see a little bit more of that just because Nebraska has not handled that well at all this season, especially with their, their, their front is, is their front. Um, I probably should have looked at this before the podcast, but are they a little bit like inexperienced? They look kind of young um, and not fully filled out, but are they, or is it just kind of what they are? It's a little bit of that. Um, they had an injury. I'm blanking on the name. Bef- before the season started, it might have even been in the summer, um, their plan starting left tackle was injured, and he was their best lineman returning. Um, you know, So they graduated their center. They grad- had an injury at left tackle. It's. I'd have to look. I don't remember the exact years for each of those guys. But, I mean, it's an, it's a group that, that struggles um, – but Nebraska's that's what they've done under Scott Frost is struggle up front. 
Um, I don't think they're particularly well coached. I think they're probably inexperienced um, at some spots. And I know they have tried to shuffle some things around and play different guys. But, man, it's just it's a group that struggles. I mean, they're, they're a guy who have, they have at left tackle right now. Um, I was going through some PFF stuff, and we've talked about I don't trust you know their grading system very well. He's scored a zero in two <laughs> games in pass blocking. In two other games, he has scored a zero in pass block. Uh, that's the type of issues that they've had. Um, Iowa, I, like I said, I, I think it's probably two of the, th- I said three, but probably legitimately two of the five worst offensive lines um, in the country, especially when you consider like power five conferences. Yeah. And I did just pull it up. Um, three of the five offensive line positions that they're starting um, are redshirt sophomores. Um <laughs> I was about to have a field day. Um, listen, we can't get too overconfident. I feel like more so the Iowa fan base is kind of viewing this as a look-ahead game or a look-over game um, in terms of Nebraska, but guess what? Who is not um, look, viewing this as a look-over game? Phil Parker um, and Iowa's coaching staff, for that matter. They they know that you know they can theoretically lose to a team like Nebraska. They're not looking at you know the ten and a half point spreads and. And all, all those sorts of things. But, yeah, definitely a, a young group, similarly with Iowa. Um, and the performances have been very similar in, in that frame of mind as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, I think we're, we kind of have a general idea of, of what Nebraska is going to throw at Iowa um, offensively. Um, it's not really anything that Iowa hasn't seen this year or in past years. Um, but what are your thoughts on just kind of, I, we're not even going to talk about offense versus defense as far as uh, Nebraska Iowa goes, but what does Iowa baseline have to do to hold up their end of the bargain and win a game? The big key to me is they're going to have to score touchdowns in the red zone uh, when they get the ball and really inside the twenty-five. When they get the ball inside the twenty-five, they're going to have to get some touchdowns and not settle for field goals. And they've been able to do that at a high enough rate lately that's been able to to win them some games, but they can't have a game like they had earlier in the season where they're getting down um, goal to go and settling for field goals. That's going to be a real big issue. And I worry about, you know, moving the ball without Sam Laporta. He's been clearly Iowa's best offensive player all year. Um, it sounds like he's doubtful or out. Uh, same with uh, Mane Potabom, who they've used basically as a third tight end. Um, in a lot of formations, he's not listed on the depth chart. So you're removing two key guys that Iowa uses. One of them, they get the ball a lot. The other, um, they do to mess with the opposing defense in terms of when you look at personnel, you're like, oh, Iowa's in um, 22, and all of a sudden, Potabom now is at tight end, so it looks a little different. Um, it changes kind of some of the defensive calls. So you lose Sam Laporta, who's their number one target, clearly Spencer Petrus's safety blanket who he feels most comfortable with and yeah it's like well okay Luke Lachey is a nice nice option he's stepping in and for most teams you'd be like okay there's a clear replacement but now you're replacing Luke Lachey at, at tight end number two spot and who comes in a true freshman um, in Addison Estranga who Iowa likes they clearly have played him as a true freshman but that's a big difference you know it's not just the the Laporta to Lachey drop-off. It's now the Lachey to Ostranga drop-off. So Iowa wants to play two tight ends a lot, uh, three tight ends a lot. So now you're really dipping in. And uh, Laporta's been the safety blanket. He's made big plays. Uh, Iowa, in several of the games, has used him as a decoy to help Lachey get open. So all of that changes. So the big thing is I think Iowa is going to struggle to move the ball um even against a defense, it's not great, but you take out somebody like Laporta from this offense, it's clearly going to affect them. But it, it, when they do, they need to get the ball. When they get the ball inside the 25, they need to get touchdowns. And the last thing that this offense needs to do is get back to Caleb Johnson's got to be back to his, you know, around 20 carries. He was 22 against um, Purdue. He was 22 carries against Wisconsin. Um, and then he was at like eight last week. They need to get back to him. And I don't know if he was 
dinged up or if he had, you know, some ball security issues in practice. I thought he looked, I thought Caleb Johnson looked like he did the first week or two where he was just like, don't, don't fumble the ball. So I don't know if he had some issues in the cold this week, but he just looked really focused on ball security. Um, and we've talked about, okay, if you don't have Sam Laporta, a guy that's been your big play guy, who's next? It's been Caleb Johnson. So they're going to have to give him the ball and let him give him opportunities to take advantage of a defense that over pursues historically really bad. And he can, he can take a cutback for 65, 70 yards. Yeah. If there's, any player streaking down the field for a 50-yard touchdown the way that Iowa just somehow always pulls one off against Nebraska this this upcoming uh, Friday, I feel like it has to be Caleb Johnson. Um, you look at Sam Laporta's usage in this offense, and I'm not this isn't even hyperbole, but Iowa uses Sam Laporta the way the freaking Detroit Lions utilized Megatron, dude. Uh He's a focal point of everything. You know, everything is built off either, you know, deception on based around him or a play call specifically designed for him. He can they line him up at wide receiver, they line him up at tight end, they have him run go routes, they have him run run win routes, um in breaking routes. They have him designed as the manufactured space guy. They have him on those slip screens uh, up the middle and you have to wonder, like, yeah, um, there's probably some other players that they can design those for, but his sharpness as a route runner is clearly something that Iowa's coaching staff just marvels at and loves and, and doesn't really trust in, in the other guys that are available for that kind of spot fill. Um, because he is a tight end and because of his size, you can kind of use him as sort of a, uh, a trump card versus you know, some of these like stuck in the mud linebackers that you're going to see and safeties included. Um, it's just one of those things. What does this Iowa offense look like without Sam Laporta? I think we saw in that second half, it, it doesn't look great. I mean, uh, <laughs> it already didn't look great for the past, you know, whatever, however many games, 11 games. But now that I don't trust Brian on a one week notice, you know, of, okay, we got to redesign the offense. I mean, he can't even design the offense in the first place. And he had months before the season started. Um, I'm very concerned in that regard. Um, I think we do see a game where Spencer just going to, you know, be as efficient as you can, you know, offensive line still isn't great. So, you know, be as efficient as you can. Do not turn the ball over. No strip sacks, no fumbles, no picks. Just keep doing what you're doing on that front. And, we just got a bank that maybe there's a counter call in there or something that on one of these drives, Iowa can get down there and score a touchdown and then just let the defense and special teams guide you the way for a couple more field goals, potentially. It feels like when they've played Nebraska, that's kind of been how it is. It's, you know, they don't get very much. It feels like Nebraska is really flowing to the ball, especially early on. And then they hit them with a counter or a misdirection or, um, you know, some sort of, you know, like a split zone look where all of a sudden um, they leave a guy and there creates a seam. And Caleb Johnson is the guy that can take a seam and make it a big play. And they need to utilize that because without Laporta, uh, their their big play options are severely limited. And it's a team, it's a Nebraska team that will give up big plays and they'll give up some seams along the front line. They'll over-pursue. Uh, I, think, I think we'll see them... Uh, really try to to load a lot of bodies at the line of scrimmage, um, send boundary pressure to try to take Iowa's play action game um, out a little bit. So Iowa's going to have to find some ways uh, for some quick hits. I thought they did a good job against Minnesota of y- utilizing some slant routes. They got uh, Brody Breck, big body involved in a couple of those to pick up two key first downs. But they're going to have to be creative and for a couple plays and find um, – Find the right times to dial those up, but but to me the key is I you know Caleb Johnson's got to be a focal point, and they've got to give him enough carries where he can get a feel for the way the defense is playing, and then in the second half make one or two reads and break off some big ones that either put seven on the board directly or put them in position to put seven on the board. Yeah, and I do think in some, to some degree you have to get one of the running backs heavily involved in the passing game this week. I mean. You, you just got to find a way because you, you just lost your only big play guy the entire year outside of Caleb Johnson, who we've only seen really 
it's kind of crazy to think we've only seen really flashes from Caleb, right? Like game scattered game, scattered game. Um, and obviously I, we both been saying it, there, there shouldn't be another running back on the roster getting more than four touches a game. Um, if it's not Caleb Johnson, right. Um, I, I think Caleb Johnson is the electrifying difference maker that, um, can help Iowa not only win this game, but then compete in a game like the big 10, big 10 title. Um, and that said, let's talk about, um, let's do a little prediction time. Um, so I'll lay out the spread, the line, all of that here. Um, so this week, actually, Iowa is a favorite, man, a considerable favorite. They're 10.5 point favorites. Um, the over-under jumps up 6.5 points this week to 38 whopping. <laughs> How another touchdown, and we're just hitting 38. <laughs> Oh, Lord. All right, so 38. And then as far as the first half goes, I was sitting at minus six, and the over-under for the first half is 19. Um, what are we thinking here um, just in terms of prediction, and what are you liking bet-wise? Any angles at all? Well, Iowa being a double-digit favorite just blows my mind. Um, it's one thing, like, do you really guarantee that Iowa can reach double digits? Uh, it, it hasn't been easy for them this Can year. Score to ten do that. points. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I so I, I was shocked when that number came out. Um, what I can guarantee you is there will be uh, probably. Well, I, I want to be careful about guarantee. There's a high likelihood that I will be placing an emotional hedge bet on a money line um, to ease ease my pains. <laughs> just in case as somebody who lives very close to the Iowa Nebraska border. Uh, and this, this game gives me uh, so much anxiety each year uh, because of that. But this Nebraska team, um, they've lost four in a row, um, five in a row, actually, sorry. Uh, their wins are against North Dakota, against Indiana, and a one-point win over Rutgers. Uh, those are their wins. So it's not like they have beat anybody that's any good. Uh, this Iowa team, I think, is a good team. It's a bad offense, but I think it's a good team. Uh, I, I'm i going to predict what I predict basically every time we get together. I think we're going to see an ugly, gross game that we're all <laughs> going to have to sit through and that both fan bases are going to be miserable for about 59 minutes of it. And then for one minute at the end of the game, one fan base will be happy. Uh, and that's that's my angle. <laughs> Honestly, that's pretty much my angle as well. It's just, I see this game being 16 to 7. Um, and I think Iowa does win, but does not cover. And, and what is just, it's hilarious. You know, I, uh, the over under being 38 and that just being like, Oh, hold, they're expecting a lot of points this week. And you look at every other spread across the board. You'll see 68, 78, uh, 58 considered a low margin in most power five conferences. Um, I would just, they're breaking the books. dude. They, nobody knows what's going on. There's like, we can't even set, we don't know where even to set these things nowadays, but I do think Iowa does win. I'd probably take Nebraska to cover. I just won't bet it. Um, but I do think Iowa probably wins 16 to seven and it's going to be coming on the Hills of guess what? You, you guessed it. Turnovers. Um, I can see a strip sack happening in this game. I can see an interception happening in this game, maybe even two. Um, and Iowa just doesn't turn the ball over on offense. Say what you want about how bad they are, but they are not They're yardage wise efficiency wise on offense for sure they're bad and maybe it's a it's a a kind of a standpoint of you know they just don't run a lot of plays in general but they also do not turn the ball over you watch teams like colorado or nevada these awful offenses as well they have like 14 interceptions on the year between three guys two guys um that's not iowa you know as far as kind of like on offense so they don't kill themselves uh with turnovers they just don't move the ball (laughs) Which I'm kind of fine with. I've come to grips with that uh, being the brand, to be honest. The offense, uh, we've mentioned it before, their job is to not turn it over and allow the punt team to have room to try to pin the 
the opposing offense back and give the defense a chance uh, to then force a punt and allow Iowa's special teams to return it and end up closer. Uh, they want to win the net punting game and win it by enough that gives the offense a chance to win. I, I think your score, again, is a good one. I, I think I'm going to go something. <laughs> We're going to finish this Iowa 15, Nebraska 14. Um, something just really strange. How they get there, who knows? Um, safety, if extra point goes weird. like, But it's it's been a weird season. Why not end it with some weird? And now I say that I just looked, that was the score. Yeah, the, that was score last uh, week. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so let's go like, yes, 16, 14. Oh, uh, I like it's, it. <laughs> it's it's going to be something gross again. Uh, that's my prediction. Um, and I'm going to watch there. And then after the game, I'll check my, my phone and my watch will tell me that my heart rate got to like 170 while I'm sitting on the couch. Um, and that's what being an Iowa football fan is right now. Oh, absolutely. And you know that 16-14 score will come with Nebraska with the ball with 125 to go in the fourth quarter, down 16-14, starting at their own third. Let's give them the 28. Um, Let's say they had a decent kick return. And um, all of a sudden, you know, it's right there for the taking. Iowa's defense has got to come up big. 20-yard play right out the gate. Oh, no, it's about to happen. They're about to lose on a field goal. Then all of a sudden, strip sack. Where have we seen that before? I think that's actually happened in an Iowa-Nebraska game before. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and this game always turns on something crazy. I think of, like, uh, the Parker Hesse interception and returning it back five yards for a touchdown or whatever. The the blocked punt, um, you know, for for Nebraska, it turned on a, a punt return for a touchdown when Iowa had a big lead and was ready to, it looked like they were ready to kind of salt the game away. Um, you know, Jordan Canzeri breaking a big run, Tyler Goodson breaking a big run. Um, the game, this series has always kind of flipped on one big play when it looks like it might be going one way. Uh, hopefully for Iowa, you know, you kind of expect it to be this special teams or this defense um, to be the one that does that. So maybe the offense is going to surprise us um, and we'll see. <laughs> we'll see uh, the offense pull something out, but but just to to say it, it's kind of laughable. Uh, it is laughable, not kind of. But but I do want to say, um, you know, really since the Ohio State game, since Spencer Petras got benched in that Ohio State game, uh, he's he's done the things he needs to do. He's connected on most of the makeable plays. You know, he's had some some errant throws. Um, you watch enough college football, every quarterback has errant throws. But he's made the makeable plays for the most part. Um, and in this game, Nebraska will give you some makeable plays. So if the Iowa offense can find a way to do that, yeah, let's go crazy. They get two offensive touchdowns on 70-yard oh. drives, which is wild for this team. You're pushing it. You are pushing it. But guess what? I bet the team total for Iowa this week just given the spread, given the over-under, it's probably setting at 23-and-a-half. Like, how does Iowa get to that number, theoretically speaking? Because that's what their team total number when it posts is going to be. So, who who knows? Dude, I, I, I don't know what Vegas thinks they know about what's about to happen. But do they just realize that Sam Laporta is not playing? I... That that number baffles me when I saw that. I'm just like, this should be even lower than the Iowa-Minnesota uh, uh, point total. But we'll see. Maybe you're right. Maybe something does kind of crazy happen where the defense maybe not ha- is not having their best game. Maybe they give up 14, 17 points. Um, you know, we just saw a, a performance where they did look vulnerable in spots. Maybe the offense does need to make a play down the stretch and – we saw two drives at Iowa this past week where they did move the ball um, on explosive plays, you know, and it was two drives that resulted in a field goals, but points. So I don't know. Maybe you're on to something, um, but I <laughs> two passing touchdowns. Here we go. Oh my gosh. You psycho. That's probably plus 300. <laughs> <laughs> the over one and a half for Spencer Petrus on passing touchdowns is probably in the plus 300 plus 400 zone. Not even joking if that was a possibility, but I love it. Um, and once again, y'all, you know, we got to always thank you guys for tuning into the podcast. We always see the numbers and we're always so shocked. Honestly, just kind of like we don't deserve the, that viewership. We, we, 
uh, hardly, you know, post on a regular schedule uh, uh, as far as day in the week, maybe even week after week. We just got to post it when we can. Um, but we love getting on here and talking Iowa football. And we love that you guys um, love us talking about Iowa football. And we like hearing from you guys. So drop us DMs, you know, reach out to on oh, excuse me, reach out to us on Twitter. You can find me at Rob DFB. You can find that at T Nels 20. Um, hit us a follow go join in the conversation on game days you know we we like tweeting we like getting these opinions off and uh, we want you to be part of it too so um thad before we hop off uh any any last words for our, our loyal listeners uh you know just hope everybody has a happy thanksgiving um you know try to enjoy <laughs> what is left of this football season um hopefully you know they're bowl eligible, so you know it will continue beyond this week for sure. But hopefully, there's there's one more game uh, past this in a couple weeks, and you know the the Big Ten West is isn't very good, but but Iowa's got a chance to win back to back division titles, and you can say you can make fun of them, you can say what you want, but that matters. I mean, that's part of the goal every year, and you can say this or that, but the other teams, um, if they can do it, the other teams didn't win it and uh enjoy it as much as you can uh even if you feel a little gross in the meantime absolutely agree there's only a handful of teams across college football that actually get to participate or are mainstays in in their conference championship game and you know if iowa can make it two years in a row why can't it be three years in a row next year um i say we just enjoy the special uh special teams unit and also the special defense that really does feel generational and as somebody tweeted at me and said this past weekend, I was like a social, unintentional social experiment of how polarizing can we make the units of their of their performance? And if you look at Iowa football and that lens, it just makes it all that more entertaining, especially when Iowa is winning those games rather than just performing well on both sides um, or on one side rather than the other. <laughs> but that said, y'all, um, as Thad said, happy Thanksgiving. You know, uh, make sure you have some fun. A lot of football coming up. A lot of family probably interactions. Try to make it through it. Um, alcohol helps. Um, that said, <laughs> we will see you all in a future podcast. Take it easy.